This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to Kavnis HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Janine Truitt. Janine, are you ready to be great today? Yes, I am. Janine is the owner, chief innovation officer for Talent Think Innovations LLC, a business strategy and management consulting firm. Her career spans 14 years in HR and talent acquisition that has taken her through the world of pharmaceuticals, healthcare, staffing, and R&D. Janine is a dynamic, dynamic speaker, entrepreneur, and important and respected voice, bringing both a human touch and business savvy to the companies and businesses she works with. It is through the trials and tribulations of her career travels and her passions for business, technology, digital transformation, and talent management that she created Talent Think Innovations in, 20, in January 2013. Her aim is to provide practical and sustainable solutions, programs, and strategies that are a catalyst for innovation. Through her work, she is using her experience to get business individuals from surviving to thriving, allowing them to succeed in an age of rapid transformation. Jenny, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What are you focused on right now? What's keeping you busy? So this year, my, my focus is really on, I'm, I'm tr- trying to apply in a more organizational effectiveness, industrial psych lens to what I've been do- doing in HR. So kind of just getting back to looking at work structures, what's working, what's not working. You know, how does HR need to maybe reposition itself, given some of the realities that we have to look forward to going into the 2020s? And then I've gotten really interested, too, in wellness, on the corporate wellness side, just recognizing that there's been an uptick in people just kind of talking about how either they don't feel psychologically safe at work or the fact that they're battling mental illness and attributing that to you know, some of their experiences at work. So I've gotten pretty interested in, you know, what does wellness need to mean in terms of how we're treating our employees and what kind of things do we need to be doing to kind of facilitate them being at their best while they're at work. So those are my focuses. Janine, I think you do a great job of putting yourself out on social media. Why do you think it's important for us as HR professors to utilize the social media, media platforms? There's never, I mean, I think in general, there's never really been a time in which an individual could just simply hop on a platform and build a name for themselves. So like for me, I was just Janine Truitt, you know, whatever my title was at all of my jobs before I got on social media. But what it's done for me is it's given me visibility beyond the desk, beyond working a desk. And there's, there's something to that. There's something to doing your job, which is great, but it's it's also a field that I think can feel really lonely and really siloed. And so um, it's nice to get on social media and kind of realize that you're not, you know, kind of one on to yourself that some of the trials and tribulations you're dealing with every day running a desk is not just your own, but things that other HR professionals are dealing with, not just in the US, but globally. So I think it's an, a, a unique opportunity to get out, out there, to share ideas, to share what's working, to share what's not working, 
and also kind of brainstorm collectively as an industry as to what the trajectory of HR should be going forward. So, I mean, that those would be my, my reasons for them getting on social media beyond the fact that if you are looking for a job or looking for your next HR job, it's a good way to have people know you, know what you're about and, and have a lens for perhaps hiring you, you know, into their next opportunity, their next position. Like I, I tell college kids all the kids all the time. I tell college kids all the time. You gotta be on LinkedIn. Tell people yourself. No one's gonna know how good you are unless you tell them. And, and it's amazing, sure. amazing how many college people are not really on LinkedIn like they should be. You know, I think LinkedIn has a bit of a branding problem, and I don't think that it's necessarily one that's intentional. I just think that it speaks to a certain demographic. So college students aren't really on. LinkedIn neither are like, you know, your blue collar worker, your everyday worker, like they don't tend to be there. You tend to find a lot of white collar, you know, upper management types of professionals on LinkedIn, when in actuality, I think a lot of people could benefit from them. But there's something perhaps that LinkedIn may want to do or needs to do to get more people or to even get like college students on there. I just don't think it's speaking to them and, and that's why they're not there. No, I agree. But you see all the time, like somebody will post on LinkedIn, you know, I don't want to do this, but I need help on a job. And instantly you have like hundred people replying, like helping them out, you know? Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's great. And especially with the video um, now, I think I feel like a lot more people have gotten engaged in that way. It's a great platform. It served me greatly, not only from a job perspective, but even now in business. So yeah, definitely a great tool. Jenny, next, talk about your thought process when you decide to go from your corporate job to starting your own business. How did that play out with, with you? It wasn't, it wasn't a simple decision. I had only, I'd really decided I was going to start a business like years, years and years ahead. Um, it was like a 10-year plan. But what ended up happening is I had a few jobs and I had good jobs and I felt like I didn't really like how HR was being executed in a lot of the places that I was working. And I also found it increasingly difficult for me to rise the ranks in a meaningful way as a woman of color. Um, there were definitely some barriers in place that I didn't find my other coworkers who are not of color experiencing. And to the point of your question around social media, I had started to get on social media not because because I wanted to, but because I was working for an employer who got the bug that social media was the next big thing. And they were like, you have to get on social media and you got to talk us up and make us look good. And so I got on there and I didn't want to do any of that because I actually hated where I worked at the time. But I realized quickly that there was a community there and I started just like tweeting out like HR tips and things like that. And so fast forward, I'd built a pretty good network through social media of not just professionals that were like me, but some older professionals who took an interest in me, like mentor wise. And they knew my situation in like several of my last jobs. And they said, you outgrew this. That idea that you had for that consulting firm that you said you're going to do in like 10 years, you need to do it like now. And this was like just around 2012, 2013. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like now? Um, but you know, I took it to heart and then like 2013 happened 
happened and I was working for a federal contractor and it was around the time that we had the government break, um, government shutdown. So in those cases, the government shuts down and then like if it goes on long enough, then federal contractors also have to shut down. And it was like the first time in my career that I had ever experienced something like that where I was going to just be out of work. Like we just all got pulled into like an auditorium with the lab director and he was just like, hey, we're next in line. We don't know if you're going to get retro pay, but, you know, we'll keep you posted. And I just remember sitting there like, this is crazy. Like, I never want somebody to have my livelihood in their hands like this. So we got through that. We never really ended up shutting down, but it was a wake up call for me. And I basically went to starting my business soon thereafter just to test the concept to see if I even had the chops. And so I was running the business basically at the same time that I was working full time just because I couldn't afford to just like leave and jump into it. And I realized pretty quickly that, you know, it was something that I could do and that people actually had a need for the way that I was thinking about work and how we should be doing it and how we could be working with employees or how we should be setting the tone within an organization. And to be quite frank, it was intoxicating. It was kind of like, you know, I didn't have to go through the typical red tape that you do in corporate where it's like, you've got to get by in with this person and you've got to schmooze that person. And, you know, only if you do it well, do you move up the ranks and get those opportunities. And this for me just cut right to the people that are decision makers. It was like, they knew who I was. I had a background that they respected and it was like, okay, we want to work with you. And I immediately was thrust into a situation where I was able to start helping organizations shape their strategy and the trajectory of their business. And I was like, there's no possible way I'd want to work at HR desk again if, if this is how I can impact business. So, Janine, so from my point of view, there's people like you who I call like want to do HR the new way, HR yes. For every one of you, it's like there's a hundred stuck in the old ways. I mean, how, how do we get these people with the old HR to go to the new ways? Or is it just a matter of them retiring and bring new people in to you know, move HR forward, so to speak? I mean, I think because I've done a lot of a lot of the jobs that I've been pulled into, I was pulled into to be almost like a change agent, if you will. So if you know a little bit about how change happens at all, you know, you're always going to have, you can always have your allies. You can always have those that are like kind of agnostic and up the middle. And then you're going to have your dissenters. Um, The old HR in this case would be your dissenters. With them, I'm not, I think I I was in a position at one point where I was like, okay, we'll just like retire them all and just get new blood in. But there's a value that they have. And so I found that sometimes you just need to understand what exactly it is that they're scared of in terms of what that change is and manage their expectations and manage their perceptions around that. Sometimes when you can do that, you can actually bring them over to the ally side and then you have a really good ally because the one thing that's good about some of those legacy people is their legacy. So they are the keepers of how business was done and how you've gotten to a certain place. So I'm not inclined always to just say throw them away. But, you know, I've also encountered the bunch of them that are like, it doesn't matter what I say, what I do. The new is bad and the old is better and they're just going to continue to be stuck in their ways. And, you know, those people, I always say that's just unfortunate for them because the change is happening 
And they're the ones that are going to probably find themselves not working, you know, fairly soon. And that is what it is. But by and large, I try to manage the perceptions around the change that's happening to them. And I find more often than not, when I can have those conversations and also empathize with what they feel they're losing, you know, there's a common ground you can find. So Janine, next question. So this is a scientific, but it's my own point of view. It seems like most HR people, regardless of their entry level or mid-career or like VP, it's taking like an average of two years to find the next position. Why do you think it's taking so long for HR people to find their next job? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm saddled with this kind of currently only because I've been coaching a few people who are in the industry. And I'll say this, I think, I think HR has an identity crisis <laughs> of sorts. Like, I, I don't think that we know who we want to be when we grow up. I feel like we just keep kind of bending and weaving depending on how, what people's or, or different conglomerates um, perceptions are of who we are and what we are and what we do. And we tend to, there, there's not, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of um, consistency and across the board. If you go from coast to coast as to how HR gets executed from an industry perspective, it, it, it varies widely. And so, you know, it, success here, success in one company doesn't necessarily beget success in another. And a certain skill set for an HR professional in one organization may not even be remotely a palatable set of skills in another organization. And so that gets sticky. And then I think we're in a period of time where we're kind of reimagining what HR is going to look like five, 10 years out. So you have people who are writing resumes or getting resumes written in a way that, you know, speaks to a more archaic level of HR and they're trying to operate in a new ecosystem where perhaps companies are looking for a more creative professional and that's not serving them. Or in like one case with somebody that I'm coaching now, she has a lot of education behind her. That was the mandate by many of her employers, go and get your PHR, go get your master's degree. You know, this is what we need. They all ended up laying her off. Now she spent all this time at a senior level or mid to senior level in most of her roles. She doesn't want mid-level or senior roles anymore. She wants a more junior. So this is a situation in which her education is actually working against her in the sense that now everybody's questioning, well, you have a master's degree. Why do you want an assistant role? Not recognizing that she may have very good reasons why. Um, and she's not going to leave your organization. She really legitimately needs the work and the money. But because she has a master's degree, they're questioning her worth or whether she's somebody that she should be hired because why aren't you going for director roles? Why aren't you going for generalist roles? So I just don't think we have enough of a cemented formula for what makes a good HR professional. I think we've been testing it for a really long time through certifications and the PHRs and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But I don't think that we really really have a cemented idea or ethos around what makes a good HR person. And then this is my point of view. I, I think a lot of HR people, they say, well, I want to be at the table. They fight to get the table. And then they get the table. They're like, oh, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't really, really mean I, I didn't really want to be at the table. I just want to talk about being at the table. So right. I think it happens a lot too. Janine, can you talk about your recent talk at Stanford? So that was really cool. I was asked to speak at Stanford to a group of students who are 
in the management science management science department, but with a f- focus towards future work. So they're future work. They're kind of like part data scientists, but part also looking at how they can better maneuver around the future work. And so the professor had asked me to talk to them about predictive analytics and data, the place of data, like what it means to be a data-driven HR person and why that's important in this time and why it's going to be important going forward. So I did a small talk for them, just kind of illuminating not just the opportunities around data, but also I wanted them to understand what the challenges were around data, because at present we have tons of data. We have more data than we've ever had. And so there's a bit of fatigue and overwhelm around how you actually use that to make good business decisions. And so I thought it was a good point of view to share with the next generation of HR leaders about what the opportunity is for them. It's not so much about getting the data. We've got the data. It's more or less, how can we get HR people to a point where they can actually look at data and extrapolate the different narratives that they need to be looking at that are pertinent to the business and then being able to take those narratives and kind of spit that back at leadership in a way that leadership understands, okay, these are the action items. This is the trajectory we need to be on. So it was um, very cool to be called to an organization like Stanford, of course. I didn't go to an Ivy League school. So it was kind of like, okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, the students were super smart and very curious, which is nice, which is something that I think we lack sometimes in HR is curiosity. I think we don't think we have as much room to be as creative as we'd like to be around how we're doing what we're doing for an organization. And so it was nice to be thrust into a situation where the students were just like, one, excited about the work and the industry, but also coming to it from a place of curiosity, like what's possible? You know, what's my place in it? Janine, so you have quite a few speaking engagements coming up in 2019. Can you tell about how speaking has increased your brand, increased your business capability? Speaking is, it's important. So I think we talked about this when we met at the summit, Jason, about how we're both introverts. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, And so it's so hard for people to understand when I tell them that that is truly who I am. But I have, I've learned that putting yourself in that situation to speak can be really advantageous to your business. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's a good, it's a fertile test ground to test the things and the models and the methodologies that I'm using in my business every day. So I, I, I'm taking in clients, I'm working with clients through complex HR issues, business considerations. And, you know, with that, I've had to develop like methodologies, ways to kind of lead them down that thinking process. And so it's nice to take those. It's good when you know it works for your client for obvious reasons, but sometimes you want to be a bit of a scientist and test it in a a bigger arena to see if it sticks. And so I find that speaking is a good way for me to kind of put those ideas out there, any ideas I'm flirting with or tried and true ones anyway, just to kind of understand like, does it work for people? Does it seem reasonable? And if not, what are the true pain points so that then I can come back and start building some other things, you know, that would really cater to my, my customer. So 
I find that as much as I'm teaching people when I hit a stage, I'm also learning from them as well because, you know, I'm hearing them. They're asking questions. They're coming up to me after the talk and wanting to have side conversations. And those things are super illuminating, especially when you work for yourself. I don't work with anybody anymore. So it's just me, you know, so it's almost like it's nice to kind of get out of you know, my silo, if you will, and, and kind of talk to people and, and get like a real time perspective. But, you know, just in, on a very basic level, putting yourself in a speaker role, you immediately elevate yourself to, you know, a, a subject matter expert, so long as you're good at what you're talking about. And people respect that. And they're much more likely to, to patronize your business when they've seen you on that stage or in that light. Jenny, next, can you talk about a time you were successful in the past, what you learned from your success, and what we can learn from the success you had in the past? A few years ago, I created an academy with a colleague, now friend of mine, to help moms who had been displaced from work, but you know had kind of been out of the workforce too long to really just re-enter it without some reskilling. And so we had created an academy to kind of help these women get reskilled so that they can want to either start a business or go back into the workforce. So I'd done that for like two years. And then I realized in running it that we had done it for like six and there were women that just were wanting more from me. And so I created like this kind of like almost like an accelerator, if you will, that went on for like four weeks where they would get like one-on-one coaching with me and I'd kind of talk them through their specific plans for whatever it was they were going to do. And it was good, but it, it went on for like a year and a half and then, you know, it was done. And I always had like an aspiration to see that be a thing for women of color in specific, largely because I think we just get forgotten in the workforce. And, you know, it's kind of like trial by fire in terms of how we get learned, how we learn and how we get developed and how we move up the ranks. So at the time, there were just there just wasn't a, a time and place for it. Like the, I just think the timing of the concept just wasn't there. It was only just really working within this group of women that I had the privilege to um, work with. But fast forward to like last year, I run a live stream show every Thursday, and I was talking about something around women and upward mobility. And suddenly they were like, you know, there was a few women on the show that were like, yeah, I would love to like just work with you and learn with you. It would be great if we could just exchange ideas and do it like in this like really protected environment where we wouldn't be judged and we can still learn and, you know, kind of get our skills up. And it just occurred to me that I had a framework already, which was this thing that I had done. And so I told them, give me a few weeks. And I basically went back to the framework and looked at it and I reworked it. I put out an intake at the end of last year, you know, just to understand from them, like what their specific learning objectives and needs were. And I thought I was going to get like five women. I ended up getting like 14 women to mentor and kicked it off in February, a seven week program where it's completely on my platform. I do one call with them a week. We do like a video call and I do a presentation, all the topics they're getting. They're getting it based on things they, they basically said that they wanted. So I, I took a poll and whatever the poll said is what I created the content around. 
And so we're like in week six, we just did week six. We have like one more week and it's just been so refreshing because they're all professional women. They're all so grateful for the feedback and the coaching. They would have never gotten it in their respective places of work if not for this thing. And I feel like I've created a safe space for them to come and not be judged about the stuff they're seeing and enduring in the workplace. So I'm really proud of it. I call it, it's called the TT Power Circle. And yeah, I'm hoping I've gotten some insights from other people that have seen them talking about it, that this is something that needs to be duplicated elsewhere, whether it's in organizations or other places in the world. And so I'm open to that. But it's it's one of the things I've done of late that I think I'm really super proud of. You know, it's not like a hundred people, but you know, for 15 women, it's everything. Just imagine the impact you're making those people though. I mean, that's a huge impact. It's been good. Yeah. Janine, next, talk about a time you failed in the past, what you learned from this theory and what we can take away from this. This one, I always go back to, and this was not through my current business, but it was my last job. So I got in charge, I'd kind of been thrust into a diversity and inclusion role. And I started doing some outreach and work with some organizations that cater to people who are differently abled, if you will. And so I'd gotten really gung-ho about creating apprenticeships and I had this whole framework, you know, planned out for this one organization to come in and actually have a lot of their people be able to get some on-the-job experience. And it had been worked out with higher management. I had gotten buy-in. I, you know, like all the things that were supposed to happen happened, except in the end, it got hung up with like salary bans of all things. And I don't know that that was necessarily the true reason why they didn't want to move forward, but I felt very culpable that the thing never happened because already for these sorts of organizations, it's hard for them to place people who are differently able. For the most part, just in general, people in business, it's not so much, I don't want to say that they don't want to help. I'll, I'll say that they just, they're afraid of it. I think they don't know enough about what it is to be a differently able person and, and how important it becomes to have meaningful work in that situation. And so they just shy away from it. And if there's not anything legal on the books that says they must hire those people, those people, then they just don't because it's, it's just easier to hire able body people. And so I just, you know, it became something that I became passionate about and I felt horrible to have to go back, you know, to the company and basically say like, Hey, I'm sorry that they got so excited, but this thing isn't happening. So for me, it felt like a failure. Like I missed something, like I didn't, you know, quite cover all my bases or maybe I didn't educate my own company well enough that they were poised for this thing to happen. But luckily enough, you know, it was, it's a failure. And then I always see failures as a way you learn. And so, you know, I just learned that not every, even though I have the heart for certain things, doesn't mean the organizations I was serving had the heart for it. And those are two different things. And I only came to realize that when the actual client that I was working with just cut me that slack and held that space and that grace for me, they were like, we know you tried, you know, like we're not holding you accountable. You tried and this is what it is. But 
you know, for me, understanding how important those opportunities were to their consumers, it felt like failure at the time. But I certainly learned from it. Janine, I want to say you have something for our listeners today. Yes. So um, for anybody that is interested in their career coaching, or if you are a leader already in a leadership position and you want coaching on, you know, how to take your next step or where you should be looking next or what you should be doing, I'm offering a free 30-minute coaching session. So hopefully you will take advantage of that and I'd be happy to work with you. Janine, can you, can you uh, give us your social media links about yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? Sure. So I'm at Zarina of HR on all platforms. That's C-Z-A-R-I-N-A of HR on all platforms. I'm on IG, I'm on Snapchat, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and on Periscope as well every Thursday, 10 p.m. for Ask Serena Live. And for listeners, we'll have the links to her, uh, all our uh, social media links on our show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com. Janine, we're coming into our talk. Can you write all this as any last minute uh, wisdom or advice or any subject you want to talk about? For talking about HR, I would say that, you know, this is a really, despite some of the negative talk that there always is about HR and HR professionals, I tend to look at it with optimism. I think that we're in a really exciting time in HR where we have the ability to rethink how we serve the organizations we serve and really be looking at the world of work in a really different way. And so I would encourage you if you're in HR or in leadership or whatever you are, however you affect the organization, really be looking at this entire time with optimism and thinking about the unique way in which you can contribute to the greater good. And thank you for your time today. I know you're a busy person, do a lot of great things. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.